Good morning. My name is Sandra Gibbs. I'm one of the practitioners here at the Center. And in this loving, peaceful energy, I'd like us to start off with an opening prayer. So join with me in knowing that there is only one, one power, one energy, one spirit, one vastness that I call God. And from this place, I know that each and every one of us is an expression of God. Each of us that has showed up today has within us the qualities of love, peace, truth, openness, and so much more. And so I know we take these qualities with us into this morning with the energy that has already begun with that fabulous chant and into the message from our wonderful speaker this morning and all of it to unite with our soul and our spirit so that we can truly hear the message, the words, and understand the meaning and take it into ourselves to make ourselves better, stronger, deeper, and to allow that person that we are to go out into the future, into our lives, to share that message, that love, and that knowing. And so I give great thanks in advance for a wonderful morning for the rest of the day and stay with me and so it is. I'd like to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Mandy Trapp worked in the health and wellness industry for 15 years before launching her own meditation company in 2012. Lifestyle Meditation was founded as an education-based socially conscious company that believes in making stress management and spiritual growth easy and accessible for everyone. As a mother of three and a wife to a successful entrepreneur, Mandy understands the demands of jungling a busy life. Although she entered motherhood with a post-secondary education and a full schedule as a personal trainer at a top training studio in Edmonton, Canada, it wasn't until she began her studies at Tropa University in San Diego, California, that she truly began to understand the importance of a daily meditation practice. In 2008, she graduated from Chopra University with their top distinction of Vedic Master Educator and has brilliantly woven her Chopra education with her athletic training education, various yoga certifications, and several trips to India and Nepal, where she has founded the India-Nepal Yoga Project a nonprofit organization that empowers healing in those affected by the devastating effects of human trafficking. Please help me welcome to the stage Mandy Trapp. Although if you ask my kids, they'll say, I don't need a microphone, I can yell perfectly fine. <laughs> and I could do that with all of you, but I'm just getting over a cold. Uh, I've been in a teacher training, and so, of course, I do all those things. I don't even know where that bio came from. I guess maybe my studio manager <laughs> must have sent it over. Sometimes it's so interesting to hear people introduce you, right? So it's this out-of-body experience around who am I according to you or who am I according to, you know, how you see me in the world. And I'm very grateful I got to give this talk already this morning. And... I don't know if a lot of you experience the same thing that I do, but I'm, I go to a lot of social events and I have to meet a lot of people. 
And the first thing that people ask, you know, is, is who are you here? Who did you come with and what do you do? And I think, okay, well, I'm, you know, John's wife, and depending on the situation or if I'm at my kid's school, I'm Brooklyn or Kaina Rowan's mom, and, and I teach yoga or meditation and a lot of other things. And so we tend to identify ourselves by these roles that we play or these positions that we take or what I have or what I don't have, and yet you still know nothing about me. You don't know my preferences. You don't know, you know that I love to do cartwheels in the kitchen while I cook dinner and my kids think I need to grow up. I'm like, no, I refuse to grow up. That's a part of me. There's a playfulness. The fact that I actually have to wear shoes today is a bit painful for me because I'm, I was always the trainer in the gym or now I have a meditation studio so I have a great excuse to be barefoot all the time. I remember my mother as a kid, it would be October and I'd be running around in the grass with bare feet and you know, that's when you get to really learn your full name, your first, middle, and your last. Right? Mandy Tom the Measure, get inside and put shoes on, you're going to get sick. <laughs> and every time I had to do that, it was the most painful thing. It's like somebody was shackling me, put shoes on my feet. I just want to feel the earth because it's who I am. And so that's what I want to share with all of you today. It's not so much about who I am, but who you are. Starting to explore yourself um, in a different way than maybe you have before. One of the most important things that I ever learned was something that I uh, had been taught to me by one of my dear teachers, um, Dr. Deepak Chopra. I was very fortunate to study with him before a lot of other people did. And so that meant that I got a lot of small group time and I was able to learn in a very interesting way. And, you know, when I first started in this industry about 20 years ago in health and wellness and fitness and yoga and then meditation and people say oh well did you learn that in in India did you yeah yeah I went to India but that's not where I where I became trained and certified I said which California <laughs> and there's always an interesting yeah California the land of meditation and <laughs> spiritual wisdom <laughs> And yet there's something that he does very brilliantly and he offers ancient wisdom and ancient practice in a way that's applicable to us in this corner of our world. And so it all depends where we are in the world. I just spent the last year living in Bali, Indonesia with my family and you know, they see things differently because it's, a, it's just a very different energy. And here in Canada right now, we are existing in a very interesting political and economic climate which it's interesting how that starts to shake you know, our root security and our beliefs and how we communicate with other people. And so sometimes we don't really know who we are until the wall is being pushed right up against our face and we recognize very quickly as to who we aren't. Right? Things start to change. A lot of people are losing their jobs. Right? Or there's a fear every day when you walk in where I used to think that there was job security. Now it's not there anymore, so I need to start to look at the bigger picture. Who am I? What do I want to do with the rest of my life when I grow up? Right? And where great stress is present, it also shakes everything else in ourselves. And so I see, you know, luckily for my husband and I, we're working through it. We have deep spiritual practice. So in the moment, things are great. But I also see the breakdown and the degradation of a lot of other marriages, relationships. And when all of that happens, we start to lose all of these identity markings who I am in relationship to you. And we start to ask ourselves that question more and more and more, who am I, who am I, who am I? 
And so when Reverend Patrick asked me to do this talk, I thought, okay, maybe he'll never ever ask me again. So I'm, <laughs> what is the one <laughs> valuable piece of advice that I want to impart on all of you today that I think will, you know, hopefully at least get you asking that question and seeking some different answers, expanding your awareness and your context. And it actually goes back to, way back to India in the 8th century. There was a young boy by the name of Adi Shankara. And Adi Shankara, by the age of eight, could already speak 32 languages. He knew that he was meant to be you know, a, a master teacher at some point in his life, and so he started begging his mother every day, Mom, Mom, please let me go. I need to go find my guru. And like any good mother would, as I'm sure most of you in here, no. <laughs> Adi, you're only eight years old. Go clean your room. <laughs> Eat your vegetables. <laughs> do whatever you have to do when you're eight years old. And she said, and you are my only son. I'm very attached to you. I love you. I am not ready for you to leave. And yet there was a deeper driving desire inside of himself, like most of us have, right, for something that we want to experience in this lifetime. And so he begged her and he begged his father every day until he was 12. And finally, the mom, oh, maybe he just wore her down. I don't know. But she said, okay, Adi, you can go. And so he packed his bags and he left. And he went out in search for a guru and eventually found his guru, who one day, and it wasn't much long after he started learning from his teacher, he became his teacher's teacher. And there are, there's books and you know, there's teachings that Adi Shankar shared with the world that you could find if you really wanted to find. But if there's only one thing that you ever understood about what his contribution was to the world, is that he offered us a different way to look at and explore the question of who am I? And so most people walk through this world suffering because they think who I am is this body that keeps getting sick or it gets old or it gets hurt. We want it to look different. We want it to feel different. It's the motivation for why most of us kind of get up in the morning and feed our bodies and move our bodies. And there's also some of us that are very attached to our belief systems and you know, our knowledge that we've acquired and we think this is who I am, right? It's these degrees in the paper that's behind me. And then at some point in our lives, we experience what's called transcendent consciousness. We have that first experience where we recognize, and maybe you remember for yourself what that was. It could have come through a meditation practice. It could have come through a near-death experience, or maybe it was some very heightened experience of wonderment and awe, where immediately we're going, oh my gosh, there's more to this than what I thought there was. There's more to me than what I thought there was. And so what Adi Shankara shared with us is that there's way more to you than what you think there is. There's actually three bodies. You don't just have one body, but there's three bodies. And in all three of your bodies, we can subdivide those further into three more bodies. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And so I don't have the visual for this. I'm very sorry. But if you have a note pen and you would really like to look this up online, it's called the layers of life. And he called this the model of a human being called the layers of life by Adi Shankara, and it looks like an hourglass, okay? So if you can envision what an hourglass might look like, what he said is at the root, the root layer, the primitive and primordial layer of who you are, it's called your extended body, okay? And your extended body is everything that is in manifest form outside of ourselves. So if I can experience it through my five senses, if I can hear it, see it, feel it, touch it, and taste it, then this is a part of who you are, okay? And from more the natural, elemental 
formulation of that is that we can group it into soil, water, and air. And this is a part of who you are. Why? Because your body is made up of what? Soil, water, and air. And that's it. That's all that your physical body is made up of. And so if you have ever watched somebody take their first breath when they come into the world, and I've been so gifted to do that, well, three times for my own children, but other times as well for dear friends, is the first thing the baby does is what? (gasps) Just before it cries, (gasps) it takes a huge breath in. And it's that breath in that then, you know, sometimes turns into a cry or a smile or whatever that is. But there's that first breath in of life. And that air fills the lungs, it fills the diaphragm and the belly, and it immediately inflates everything within the body. It's like when the oxygen tank comes down in the airplane. Something very interesting happens. And so we take in that air element from our surroundings, from the trees, from the grass, even from the snow, right? Snow is just water, H2O. So we pull the oxygen out of the snow, out of the oceans, rivers. We pull that into our body constantly. It's nourishing and nurturing the physical body. And then we also have water. And so water... Again, as we leave the body, right, or as the breath, the last breath leaves the body, shall I say, in this lifetime, right, breath is, or the air is the first thing to leave, the second is water, so if your body is buried, the water becomes a part of the decomposition process. If you're cremated, it evaporates, and at the end of both of those processes, what's left? The soil, yeah, absolutely, the earth. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. I've been to India several times. I don't know if any of you here have, and I've sat on the banks of the Ganges watching the cremation of the body. There's an honoring of the spirit as the spirit leaves. And then there's an honoring of the body. And if you watch the body, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, your sexual orientation, or your religion. It all breaks down the same, and it returns to the same place. The air leaves the body. It's already left by the time the body gets to the banks. You watch the water start to evaporate, and then in the end, it's the ash, and there's this sweet little man that comes, and he just sweeps it back into the river. And the first time that I saw that, I was, I was taken back with emotion, I think really, truly recognizing my attachment to my physical body in this life and how it was or was not performing for me, right? I'm, am I thin enough? Am I fit enough? You know, am I enough, 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 enough? instead of just recognizing that there's no point in getting so attached because my body is constantly recycling the air. It's recycling the water and it's recycling the soil. In just one hour of you being here today, you will have recycled over one million cells in your body. In just five days, you'll have an entirely new lining to your stomach. And in 90 days, every single cell in your liver will be brand new. And in just less than a year, about 98% of the cells in your body are different than the year before. And yet, we still continue to create the same conditions, the same diseases, the same dysfunctions. Why? Well, I'll tell you about that in a second when we get to the mind. (laughs) But why do we feel so connected when we stand in front of an ocean? Or why do we feel so at home when we walk through a forest? Or when we stare at the mountains? Because that's a part of who we are. It's just our extended body. It's not me and my environment. I am my environment. Without that, I'd be gone and back in the Ganges. 
So that's the first layer of your physical body. And then the second layer is as we're pulling all of those elements in, it organizes itself in an interesting way that shows me that, that this is you. And so you tell yourself the story every morning as, you know, this is the color of my eyes, these are the colors of my hair, and these are the way the elements are going to organize themselves in time and space in this localized field. And that's how we recognize each other. And again, we get attached to that body, forgetting that even my own personal body is an inflow and outflow constantly of energy and information. But then it's that third component of your physical body that actually holds everything together. And Adi Shankara called this your energetic body or your pranic body. And I noticed today on the schedule that they're in pranic meditations here. And so what prana is, is prana is that life force that animates your body. It's what gives it all of the function and the form and the movement and everything that's possible. And it's what holds it in time and space. Otherwise, you'd just be particles or you'd be soil that's dripping out or water that's spilling out. But it holds it together. And so these sages, these yogis, knew the importance of this life force thousands of years ago. So they gave it the Sanskrit word prana. But they also used the same word to describe breath. If we do pranayam, prana just means breath or life force enhancing exercises or techniques. And so if you've ever watched somebody take that final and last breath in their life, the body is still there. Right? The breath might be gone, but the water's still there, the soil's still there, but there's something missing. And it's that that is missing that we suffer over. We suffer in part because of our attachment to the life force and the animation. And then we suffer because of the essence of who that person was. And so we have this physical body that we need. We need to nourish it. We need to make sure that we are enlivening it with pranic-rich foods. Not always foods coming out of a package, out of your freezer. That's why it tastes so much better to eat out of fresh food, out of the garden, vegetables. You know, if you, if you choose to eat meat and if you're a meat eater, eating foods where the animals were rightly and, and humanely treated because there's an energy in all of that that we're absorbing. And also making sure that we're feeding ourselves in a very loving and pranic-rich environment. You know, if we all ate here, wouldn't that be great if we could just have family dinner here every single night? Not in... Sometimes I think in terms of emotions and feelings as opposed to words, but not in high tense angry or frustrating environments that influences our physical body. Okay, so Adi Shankara said, you have this physical body. He said, but that's not all. You got two more. Two more to go. The second body is called your subtle body. Subtle because we don't really see it, but we definitely feel it. And so within our subtle body, again, it's subdivided three times. The first one is our mind, our mind. And I asked everybody this morning to point to their mind, and I'll ask you that too. So where's your mind? (laughs) I love it. Some of you are like this. The rest know it's out here somewhere. I can't remember what did Reverend Patrick tell me my mind is or the last book that I read. We used to believe that the mind was confined into our brain because the mind makes up your thoughts, your discriminations, and your emotions. Okay? The mind is your thoughts, your discriminations, and your emotions. And yes, of course, there is a component to this in the brain because we can process information. We have the emotional, the limbic system in the limbic brain. 
But what we know now, and there's been a lot of science and research around this in the last 20 years, is that in fact our mind exists within every single cell of our body. Is that we have a limbic system that's present within every cell, which means that every one of your cells is capable of thought and is capable of emotion. And really where they're going with science and research right now is to be able to look at what's happening in the inner lining of your gut. So they call it your microbiome. And some scientists also call it the fifth lobe of your brain because it is thinking and it is feeling and perceiving information more quickly than the brain would because we don't need to go through all of the filters of belief, of agreement, of disagreement. It just feels. So has anybody ever stepped into a a building, a situation, a partnership, and all of a sudden you feel a bit of a pit in your stomach, we gotta pay attention to that. That's part of your brain, right? Or if you feel a little nervous and kind of fluttery and a little bit excited about something that you're gonna do, the gut starts to make movements again. This is a very important part of our mind. And not any one of these layers in your body operates independently in isolation. They all work holistically. And so if we're not feeding our body properly as well, is that it influences and impacts our ability to be able to really lean into and listen to that gut instinct. But the mind is just asking us to always stay open to allow thoughts and to allow emotion to move through us. And so emotion is nothing more than just energy in motion. But we hold on to it. Oh, I don't like to feel angry or I don't like to feel sad. So I hold on to it and I store it. Adi Shankara said, if we keep an open mind, then we can allow all of the energy and all of the information that's moving through us to become a part of who we are without getting so caught up on the, the discrimination around it. And so we have this mind, and let's just keep it open. Okay, the second layer of your subtle body is known as your intellect. And the intellect, for the most part, we think sits somewhere up here in the front of your brain in your prefrontal cortex. And it acts much like a wise old owl. So when I'm teaching meditation to kids, you know, I have these little hand puppets and maybe I should have brought those today. So it's the wise old owl that sits up in the top of the tree or in the front of your brain. And so everything that you're learning from how to operate a pair of scissors when you're in kindergarten to, um, I don't know, advanced calculus in university to even this talk right now, is it's, it's going up through the space in the area of the intellect. And intellect is knowledge. It's what we've learned and what, based on that, we know to be true or we feel to be true. And this is wonderful and lovely if we need to be critical problem solvers and if we need to use a pair of scissors or know how to drive on the right side of the road and to pay attention to signs. This is important. And again, where this gets us into trouble is when we make all of our decisions and all of our communications are coming from the intellect. Why? Because now it's not pulled through the filter of wisdom. And I'll never forget a few years back, my husband and I went to go see the Dalai Lama speak in Calgary. And it was the University of Calgary that brought him. And his whole entire talk for two hours was about how bad formal education is. <laughs> and that it stops us from being wise. And I'll never forget the look on the, the dean of the university's face when he came back up going, and thank you, your holiness. <laughs> Basically just told everybody, don't go to university. <laughs> but if you think of the amount of conflict that we have, because it's, I learned this idea and I spent $100,000 on my education and this is what I know to be true. And even if they say it's, it's scientific and it's proven, science is still a theory. You know, we used to think that the world was flat. 
Right? We used to also think that the world was confined and the entire universe was confined and now we know that it's constantly expanding based on our own consciousness. And so intellect, yes, useful, right? But not if we always allow that to drive, is that we have to allow ourselves to be also steeped in wisdom. And the third aspect of your subtle body, we went from the mind to the intellect, it's the ego. And when a lot of people come to me, I want to learn meditation, I want to kill the ego, it's so bad, and it's my darn ego again acting up. The ego, like every other part of you, has a place. And so the ego is the one that shows up at the party when you say, so who did you come here with and what do you do? The ego only knows itself in relationship to its positions, its possessions. And the ego only operates on what's known. And so if we try to come up with some sort of creative solution to our problem, you know, if you can't figure out how you're going to make rent next month, I need to come up with something. The ego operates from that place of fear and scarcity. I mean, that's the fundamental teachings that we all learn here. And the ego starts to go back through, okay, well, I could try to do this, you know, I could you know, go back to work here, I could go talk to this person, whatever that is. We're going through what is known. Sometimes is useful, but a lot of times really what we're looking for is some sort of experience that's creative outside of that. We need to be able to access a way that is new for us because if the old way works, then we wouldn't be in this predicament again. Right? And so the ego is important because if I wasn't you know, a mother, I wouldn't be able to connect with other parents. And if I wasn't um, you know, somebody that, that suffered abuse as a child, then I wouldn't be able to connect with other people that have suffered abuse. And so where can I see the meaning and the purpose in many of these roles that I play? Honoring that and also acknowledging that that's not all that we are. And so as any of those coordinates change, if I'm no longer married, if my children leave home and don't need me as a mother in that aspect anymore, how can I still see, okay, that role has changed and it's evolved, it might look different, but it doesn't take away from who I am. Then we move into the third body. And so Adi Shankara called this the causal body. You might also know it as the spiritual body, but he called it the causal body because he said it's the reason and the purpose for everything else. It's why we came here, is that at some point in time, we were this beautiful little soul that said, I want to experience something in my life. I want to experience adventure. I want the experience of forgiveness. I want the experience of contentment. We say we come here to learn lessons, right? But one of the most impactful books that I've ever read is Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And God says to him in this story, if you will, or this very real conversation he had, is that we're actually not here to learn anything. We're not here to learn anything because you already know, but you're simply here to remember. Yeah, you're here to think of those two words, re, so to come back together, to member. We are members of what? What are we members of? We are here to remember who we are. And so in that causal body or that causal layer, we have three. The first one is your own personal soul. And it is the one soul that is so heavily imbued with memories, with desires. If you subscribe to uh, reincarnation, then it also holds the same information from multiple lifetimes. 
It's why when we come into this world, we have certain you know, tendencies to really be drawn to something or we have aversions and we're not quite sure why. Right? It's that on a deeper soulful level, there is an imprint. Every experience that you have, it's an imprint. We call it the software of the soul. And even though the computer might be a little outdated and it might die, we can still take the information and we can load it into a new device or a new medium. And so you have your own soul that has many memories, and most importantly, it has desires. It has very unique desires. And maybe if I ever talk again here, I'll talk about there's 82 words in the English language that describe experiences of spirit that we all came here to learn and to experience. Some of them you'll be drawn more to than others, but this is what makes you unique. And then we have the second layer, which is not just the personal soul, now it's the collective soul. And so when I start to recognize for myself that I am unique, I have my own talents and my own gifts and my memories and desires, I also start to see that that's not only the truth of who I am, but it's the truth of who you are. I'm not the only one here that's a spiritual being having a human experience. We all are. We all are. And as I notice that, as I start to honor that, I can recognize and this was one of my greatest teachers, Paramahansa Yogananda, who said within the collective consciousness, souls only have two desires. There's two underpinning desires to all of it. One is to be happy and the other is to be free. And that's what we all want, regardless of how we try to get it. You know, he goes on to say even somebody that goes as far to take their own life that we can criticize and we can judge, but really the experience that they were looking for was freedom. And when we can recognize this from a soulful level, which is imbued with nothing but love and compassion and generosity, now we can become conscious choice makers in our lives to say, ah, as I step back into action, as I exercise my intellect, is I exercise my mind and I move my emotions and I do so in a way that I can use the roles that I have and the privileges that I have you know, as a human being that lives in the free world, so to speak, is how am I going to do that consciously and mindfully so that it's serving my own evolution but also the evolution of all of the other members that are here. And when we recognize that this is not only true for ourselves and for all other human beings, we also now rise into the highest layer or level of who we are, which is universal spirit. And in universal spirit, I see this alive in everything. I see this in the trees, I see this in the animals and the sweet little puppy that's here today. I see this in every experience that I have is that there's opportunity and there's meaning and that the world or the universe isn't happening to you, it's happening for you. It's always happening for you. And that is, of course, a deep spiritual teaching, and it's also science. Is that this creative universe around us is nothing but energy and information that is always recalculating itself based on what your deeper desires are. And I love that the theme here for this month is all about honoring myself and I honor our, ourselves, the we is because it is this beautiful, there's this wonderful figure eight sort of infinite patterning and energy that moves in between all of us that is a giving and receiving, a teacher and a student, an I and a we. And so at the most expansive version spiritually is we have universal consciousness, right? We have the highest version of our bodies and this is a part of you. 
And at the other end of that hourglass, we have our extended body, which is the earth. And in between all of that, we come into the most restricted area, which is the mind, the intellect, and the ego of that hourglass. And when we live too much from the mind, the intellect, and the ego, is we restrict that flow between the universe from the heavens and from the earth, and we no longer feel connected or safe. And so through this awareness, through the practice of meditation, through coming together in spiritual community, we begin to remember who we are. We remember that we are divinely guided and supported at all times. And we remember that we are earthly, nurtured, and safe. And that in between that heaven and that earth is us and all of our uniqueness and our talents and our gifts. And so I hope for you that you begin to remember this for yourself today, that you start to see this present in everybody else that's here, and then universally as you step out of here, regardless of what shows up in your field, if it seems difficult or uncomfortable, if we can remember that that desire is for happiness and freedom, can I open my heart a little bit more and my mind and keep that flow open? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope to see you all again soon. Namaste. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you.